Hello and welcome. You are listening to Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resilience of field workers. From experts in member care to frontline field workers, our guests will bring you their experience, their lessons learned, and always something practical you can take away and use to increase your resiliency in cross-cultural life and ministry. Co-hosts Silas West and Steve Finley are just one part of an ever-growing and strengthening net of member care in the Antioch movement. They want to see Matthew 24, 14 happen and do everything they can to help field workers have the kind of resilience that enables them to make it for the long haul. Andy and Andrea Baker, we are so thankful to have you on the podcast today. Thanks. It's good to be here. So uh, Steve and I, uh, Steve doesn't know you guys from Adam. Um, I know you from, all, from just all the way back to college. And uh, I won't say how far back that is because we're not, <laughs> we're not going to uh, out anybody here. But anyway, as far as age goes, but um, I would love for you to share just a little bit about who you guys are and, and what you do. Yeah, we're, so we're Andy and Andrea Baker. Uh, we've been living and serving in Bolivia since 2001, so that's almost 19 years. We came to Bolivia with the desire to really just serve the poor, and we found a need in the red light district. So now we have a, a thriving, growing ministry outreach to women in prostitution and victims of trafficking and their children. Wow. Andy, why don't you <laughs> add, add to that a little bit? Yeah, probably on the personal side, um, we have four children, four boys that were born here in Bolivia, uh, 17, 13, and then we had surprise twins along the way, which um, <laughs> tested our resiliency. Uh, we love family, we love ministry, we love um, place where we are, and we feel privileged to do what we do. You've chosen this life. I'm sure it's come with a degree of challenges just by the lifestyle itself. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about some of those challenges. Gosh. <laughs> I know, really loaded question, right? Today's is going to be a 19-hour episode. Of so go ahead. Oh, man. Not so many challenges. Well, we, we jumped off the plane thinking that we could change an entire culture. We were young, we were optimistic. We thought that um, we could change punctuality in Latin America. Um, we we had the classic savior complex um, that we were going to come in with all the answers. And even at the same time, when our mission said, don't go in with any answers, just ask lots of questions. Um, it was It was hard to kind of get rid of that. That was one of our first challenges, I would say. Hmm. Um, I mean... Gosh, there's so many challenges. We've grown through all of it. Language learning and like really being able to speak, like share your heart in intimate ways. That's really hard for me as one who really values relationships. I mean, there were challenges of just learning how to get around and how to, you know, do all the shopping and do everything. I mean, we were the only um, North American, European, Western missionaries in the area when we first got there. So we learned everything from Bolivians. Um, and then over time I got challenging because change didn't come as quick as we had hoped. Um, our children got sick a lot. Mm. 
Well, I know you don't live in the house that you lived in before you've in a new place, but I remember visiting you guys and even just the altitude, the challenge of altitude. Oh yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's still a challenge 20 years later. Um, Yeah. We live at 12,000, 13,000 feet above altitude, above sea level. So just walking up the stairs is (laughs) a daily challenge. Yeah. And Silas, when you came to visit, we went up um, just a small little hill. I think we made it to like 17,000 feet. Yep. Yeah. I have a picture of the autometer um, at the top of it. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. That was really fun. I mean, and little things. I mean, if we're going to focus on all of it, like, um, you know, living at altitude means that we're above the tree line. It was challenge. Like weather is really challenging at this altitude. It's, extreme sun, extreme rain, extreme cold, um, hail is common. Um, it was challenging for a long time when we lived in Alto in the rainy season, which was our summertime. And it was cold, really, really, really cold and constantly raining and nothing green. Mm. Um, with no central heat. And so you're just kind of, I remember ice in our sink in the kitchen because it was so cold. I mean, I kind of called those early years, like my eight year camping trip. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) It kind of was like that. (laughs) Andy and Andrea, um, Silas has this advantage over me uh, as a co-interviewer today and over all of our listeners of having history with you guys, but I'm just sitting here with my jaw already on the ground, having to pick it up, thinking, good grief, Lord. <laughs> what? W- talk to me about the, the call. I mean, cut, you know, help us to understand, because you know, I'm just hearing, ringing through what you guys are saying, I'm hearing there is a deep, deep call that you guys have had to hold on to countless numbers of times as you've met so many challenges. But can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what brought you to these, these high altitudes of the, of the Bolivian Andes? Yeah, I think um, it all started with a, a short-term trip with Andrea. A couple of times in college, she traveled to Bolivia and really fell in love with the country. And I remember picking her up at the airport in Louisville, Kentucky, and she said, I don't know if I can pick between you or Bolivia. And I was about ready to ask her to marry me. And so that was a, that was a hard hit, but we realized that um, there was something special in her heart for Bolivia. And that became something special in my heart. So when we did our vision trip to, to this place, we realized, wow, there is incredible need here. And um, the mission was very gracious to us and just saying, go live in the urban centers, figure out what the need is, identify network and, and find a place to serve. And so we were able to do that um, really with very few strings attached. That Those were um, hard and difficult years, but beautiful because we were able to just um, absorb as much as we could in the beginning. I think over time, calling has become more clear to us. I think in the early years, we, we would have said we were just willing to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there were times... Um, when we questioned that and if we should stay or not stay and the Lord was really clear in those moments to speak 
into that and confirm um, something that I don't even think we realized was there. And um, so I think we've kind of just kept holding on because the Lord has been so clear with that. And so we um, just kept saying, like, we'll be obedient as long as this is where you've called us to be. As as it's become more clear to you guys over the the last few years, how would you define your calling? <laughs> I think... I think we have a strong desire to be um, bridge builders and we've kind of seen that develop over time where um, we lived in close solidarity with the poor and we're bridge builders with the Western world about the realities that we were seeing firsthand. But as we've stayed longer, we've found ourselves bridge builders between two very distinct worlds in the context that we're in. Um, we have, we still have contact with the poor in the brothels on the streets, but we also have a lot of contact with um, people with resources locally and internationally, bridge builders between Christians and non-Christians and what that, what those two worlds and realities look like. Yeah, I think it's one of our main calls. We figured that out as a, as a couple, even as a family, that we're called to build bridges. Hmm. One thing that was interesting, I don't know, you can cut this out if you want, but um, recently we went through a political crisis in Bolivia and um, my children have all been born and raised here. And so they feel very Bolivian, but they unfortunately don't look very Bolivian. They're blonde haired blue eyed. And in between this political conflict, there was a lot of racial issues that kind of came to the surface. And the fact that, I don't know, the Lord was very clear about how blue eyes but brown hearts (laughs) were strategic in a way for, for building, for crossing barriers that wouldn't have happened naturally. I don't know if that makes sense. So talk to us about how, how the boys have engaged in that. Yeah, our son just came back from the States. He did um, a seven-month exchange, and he moved from the Andes Mountains to Indiana. <laughs> that was a switch for him. And, and he looks very American, very North American. Um, he's the only one with green eyes, but very pale skin, blonde hair. And he said to us one day on the phone, he said, there's this whole part of me that people don't understand. They don't know. They don't know that I speak Spanish, that I grew up somewhere else, that I understand multiple cultures and my worldview is just a lot broader. Mm. And so he had this thing that he, he kind of hid on the inside and eventually he, he opened up and he shared that with some trusted friends and people that he knew a little bit more. But I think um, our children are, they'll go through more in the long run, but I think they will be, broader um, kind of global kingdom citizens because of this perspective of, of growing up overseas, of growing up in the majority world and just seeing a lot more. Yeah, I would say, I don't know. I can't put my finger specifically on how they do it. They just do <laughs> their perspective and how they, Uh, they don't even seem to categorize people in the same ways that we do. Um, And so I think that the way they kind of flow in between worlds so naturally, their perspective is so much more 
broad and their understanding of the issues are so much more complex that, um, yeah, it, it's just kind of actually fascinating to sit back and watch. <laughs> mm. I, I don't know how to explain it. I just can see that their, their perspective and the way they just, they can go to hang out with their really wealthy friends in La Paz and then hang out with the neighborhood kids down the street. And there's really not much difference for them. And just watching pictures that you guys post on, on Facebook and stuff of all the adventures you have and all the ways that you raise your kids to really embrace the country that you live in. It's not just here we are doing our work, but you've made it home. You've made it a place that they uh, can find enjoyment. And I, I just love being able to, to see that and watch that as I, as I follow you guys. But, you know, the purpose of our, our podcast is to have meaningful conversations about resiliency. And uh, you two and your boys have pioneered a, a thriving ministry in a really difficult environment. And so one of the things I wanted to ask you is what decisions did you make early on that aided you in being resilient? If we're going to be really, really honest, I think we would say in the early years, what kept us here was um, what we call the spiritual gift of stubbornness. <laughs> and so um, we, I think there's was some pride involved in it, honestly, but we kind of just went with the idea that we're going to stay and we're going to do this until God calls us to do something else. And so that's what we did. I mean, we jumped in also fully into the culture. I mean, we literally got off the plane and went directly to the home of a very simple Adobe house with an Aymara family. And we lived with them. I think in every way possible, probably to unhealthy extremes, we fully embraced Bolivian life. Not just a Bolivian life, but the the Bolivian life of someone who is relatively low income and, and maybe even impoverished, isn't it? Yes, for sure. I mean, we we didn't have any appliances. We washed everything by hand. I remember <laughs> you know seeing my breath in my bedroom because it was so cold. We you know, we didn't have a car for many years uh, until our kid got so sick that we couldn't even make it to the hospital. We finally decided to buy a car. So a lot of those early years, I really, really appreciate. Like, I know what it feels like to carry a baby on my back and get into the public transportation and go shopping in the open market and cut all the parts of the <laughs> meat that you don't want off uh, to cook. I feel like it's given us some real insight into the realities of people, which has later helped us in that role of bridge building. Mm. I'd love to hear a story or two, Bakers. Uh, just, you know, what do you do? What have you done through these years? I heard it early on and in, in working in the red light district and working among the poor, but tell us a story or two of just the, the ministry that you guys have either done, you know, uh, previously or that you're currently doing just so that we, I and the other listeners can really enter into um, the, that work, that 12,000 foot elevation work that you're doing. We came with a desire to follow Jesus's incarnation, um, the model of that incarnation. And so the way he came and entered into lives, our lives, 
um, from a place of privilege. And so I think at the heart of our ministry is just walking into the brothels and visiting the girls there. Uh, We do that weekly still. And we just offer a ministry of presence and prayer and encouragement. That for me, I think is what I enjoy most still about our ministry. Um, And then from there, we walk with those women and introduce them or offer opportunities for them to come to a place of, of abundant life and transformation. And so all of the in-between is, you know, social services and, and therapy and fun and leadership development and tutoring and all that. But I think what I absolutely love is uh, walking into those dark places and being a presence of, of light and hope there. Hmm. I would also add that Andrea's a great leader. She heads up our team in Bolivia and does a great job at just modeling service, modeling identification so that we can actually understand others. Um, that hasn't been easy for her as a mom, as um, a female leader, as someone in, in this culture that might not automatically get respect. She's, she's doing a great job. And I think that's um, probably the next season for us is to replicate ourselves, to build into others, to, to see others flourish in, in their leadership. That's, I think that's um, what we're trying to pass on, both to our staff and to our children and to those around us. Amen. So you guys said that you went, and I know, I know this, but for the sake of our listeners, you went into a situation kind of with... Um, this ideal, a uh, very idealistic perspective. And it was the stubbornness that kept you there at the beginning, but um, it's not stubbornness that keeps you there now. So how have you evolved to become even more resilient than just being two hard-headed, stubborn individuals who were going to make <laughs> Are you speaking from experience? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember Silas and you would know this name. Um, our friend Walter gave a reflection on loving place mm. and putting down roots. And I think that was a turning point for us. That was a, a point of saying, I do love where I live and I choose to love where I live. Um, if you've ever been in a relationship or a marriage long enough, that love is um, felt, but it's also a choice that you make. And so we have chosen to love this place. We've chosen to love the dry, the altitude, the cold. Um, There's so many things about the people that we choose to love and we choose to see the good side. And that brings us life. That brings us um, encouragement. It brings us relationship with others. Uh, it connects us to people in a culture and each other as a family when we celebrate often when we travel we say to our children okay we're going to celebrate wherever we are and so if we have to go to mcdonald's we'll do it (laughs) but we can't wait to get back to bolivia to get some some good food or vice versa we we say we love it here and maybe someday we'll be able to do something different and so it's it's an art of being present that i think has made us resilient um when the times are hard, when the times are difficult, when it's not as easy as we would choose, but we know that we're doing the right thing and that we're um, in the right place. Mm. 
I would say, um, I think we've learned to be a lot more gentle with ourselves and with others. Our ideas of wanting to save the world kind of have been tempered in that now we just embrace that we can't change anybody. Um, but what we can do is try to be obedient and trust that the Lord will kind of work out all the other pieces that we can't do. And so that's been really helpful for our, the, owns, the standards that we've held against ourselves um, just to kind of embrace our humanity and then also for the people that we're trying to serve when the fruit isn't as abundant as we would like to see, or even other coworkers. I think we've learned a lot about grace and humility. Yeah, the, we didn't set ourselves up very well at the beginning in those early days of Word Made Flesh, did we, for being gracious to ourselves? Or others. <laughs> no, we didn't. Yeah. Mm. I've loved watching that evolution take place in you guys' lives. And I think, Andy, you talked about learning to love and embrace place. And, and I do remember, I remember that, that talk that Walter gave and just seeing how you guys do that so well, your photography of the high mountains and the, the jungles where you go out into the, those places and just enjoy life, but not just getting away from where you live to enjoy it, but also finding that that embrace of of life right there in the middle of it all how how is that uh, being shared and, and multiplied through the lives of your boys oh it's in our boys and in our staff I mean so many of our staff now have married Bolivians it's it's almost funny <laughs> uh, our boys absolutely love Bolivia if you ask them where would they would love where they want to live, they're pretty vocal about not wanting to live anywhere else. <laughs> I think they just, I mean, it's so much intertwined into who we are. I mean, we have really great relationships and friendships. We really enjoy whatever we have around us. I mean, I, I think our goal, ultimate goal as a family is that we all thrive, not just mom and dad mm. and not just kids. I think we all want to find our purpose and I think we're able to do that. Um, the kids have a good school that, that they go to, which allows us to keep doing what we do, what we're called to do. And so we come back together uh, around the dinner table at night. And often we just say, okay, what's the daily check-in? What, what's your number one to 10? And often the boys are, you know, seven, eight, even nine on their day. Um, the parents not always as high. There's a lot that we <laughs> that we go through, but we we celebrate because we know that the heart is going to be there. But the celebration is important because that keeps everything in perspective. Mm -hmm. Andy and Andrea, for the first termers who are out there that don't quite feel they've been gifted with the gift, the spiritual gift of stubbornness to the extent that you guys were. Um, what would you say to them regarding that, just that idea of hang in there? Like how, just how is the Lord, you know, uh, it's one thing to say we have the gift of stubbornness and I hear you and we get what you mean by that. And praise God, you're, you're in your 19th year of living in the high Andes. But, uh, what would you say to them who may not feel quite that, quite that resolute right now? And they're struggling to, to stay. To stay where they are. I think in the early years, we learned to trust the Lord 
And over time, his faithfulness has become more and more clear. It's been easier when we stepped out with, with little steps of faith to continue to trust him with that. I feel like if at any point you felt like the Lord called you to a place and in those moments when you're really not sure or you're really not feeling it anymore, I think two things that have helped us is to kind of remember to go back to that place and hold on to it. If Jesus really called you and if Jesus is really who he says he is, hold on to that. Be honest about the hard and then say, okay, this is really hard. And if you really want me to stay here, then I need your help. And I, and I think just grace again for yourself as you're learning, as you're trying, as you're feeling stuck, like all those things just feel like maybe you never are going to ever get ahead. Uh, I think it's really helpful to just celebrate all the tiniest little celebrations and successes so if you were able to go to the store and buy some cheese and you said more than hello and goodbye, that's awesome. Mm. And if you, I mean, when we were working with broken people, I mean, we're still working in working with broken people, you know, we want to see so much more from them, but I mean, we've kind of learned to just celebrate even the little successes with that. So like Jenny is maybe not where I'd hoped her to be but she said she would call and she actually called Mm. and that's a really great step in the right direction Mm. (laughs) things like that I think we've learned to celebrate the tiniest little signs of fruit and that has helped me hold on to like the bigger hard I would say to someone that's new coming in just signing on read the first 50 pages, you know, what they say when, when you pick up a book, stick with it. I would say your first contract is probably going to be, um, is going to shape you a little bit. It's going to throw you off a little bit, do as much as you can to invest and to stay where you are. Um, give it a shot. The people there are beautiful. And like Andrea said, you were probably called there. And even if you went back to your first culture, things are not going to be the same you have changed the people that you have left have changed and that's okay. That, that is just a part of, of, of answering a call and moving on. And that's the beautiful part that we get to move forward. It's wonderful. Good word, y'all. What would be the big takeaway that no matter who's listening, whether they're first termers or they've been around for a while, if there was one thing that you could say to, to people listening, what would, what would that takeaway be? You're just looking for pearls of wisdom, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like we've shared some of it. I can share a story. So there was a, um, I guess maybe we were coming up on our second or third term and our, our baby got really, really sick. Mm. I remember that. Um and we were at a place where we were in the States, um, on medical leave and we had a really, I mean, we had a really big decision. Like, do we go back to Bolivia or do we not? And there was, there really, really wasn't a lot of clarity. It was, I think honestly, one of those times when we could have 
gone or we could have stayed. And it, it wasn't like a right or wrong decision. But for some reason, I don't know why, we decided to stay. And we went back, even though the ministry had, you know, it was starting. It could have gone on without us. It was at a decent place. We chose to go back. And even when we went back, there were all kinds of problems um, on the field when we got back as well. And it would have been, again, another time to just say, okay, all the doors are closing. We should just close up shop. For some reason, we stayed. And I can't tell you how much has come about because of that decision. It's incredible to be here 15 years later and to see the fruit of that decision. Yeah, to see the fruit of that decision. What, has some I, of that fruit, really, what does some of that fruit look like, Andrea? Well, we have friends who were with us back then, who were, are with us now, who said, we all thought you would leave. <laughs> um, and I feel like we have a platform now and and respect in ways that I don't know if we would have had otherwise, where we have a voice into places in churches and among elders and leaders and even lawmakers that we wouldn't have had otherwise. The people around us have been witness to what the Lord did in our family's life and in our child's life. And it, it just has opened doors in ways that we never really expected. Mm. And I think when when the women say to us, thank you for coming back, when we keep going back into the brothels, when we stay in the red light district, um, that's just affirmation that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, yeah. Hey there, Resiliency listeners. This is Silas. I have to apologize. At this point of the interview with Andy and Andrea, our recording limit expired. This was before I had purchased a upgrade for my Zoom account. And so I switched over to another meeting and we finished out the recording. However, I didn't realize until I was making the final edits of this episode that that last bit of recording was lost. So my apologies to Andy and Andrea and my apologies to all of you. But if any of you would like to know more about the work that Andy and Andrea are doing, go to wordmadeflesh.org and go to the Bolivia page. Be sure to read about Sutisana and find out about how that ministry is bringing freedom to the lives of women. I will also put a link to that page on, in the show notes. I'll wrap up today's show with a verse from 1 Corinthians 15.58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Join us again in two weeks for another episode. And don't forget, the best way that people can find out about us is for you to leave us a rating or a comment.